Once more, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. I am now uh, week three in a message series entitled Supernatural Unity. We've been talking about what it means to be the Mission One congregation that God is calling us to be. And supernatural unity is one of those things which Christ desires most for his church and for this church. It was his dying prayer, the last prayer he prayed uh, on the night before he died was a prayer for our unity. He wants us to be one. Uh, But if we're going to be one, it's going to have to be supernatural. He will have to make us that way. We are difficult people and difficult to love, and uh, and we find love difficult. Um, For that reason, I I really want us to begin in a different way today. I I, I want us to take a look at some scripture. I want you to search your own heart, and I want us to talk about how serious sins against unity are in in God's eyes. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. Look at this verse first. There are six things the Lord hates. Okay, I want you to follow this pattern of very strong language. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family. Now, we mean earthly families, of course. I mean, that, that, that applies. But also spiritual families like the church. God hates when people sow discord. Now, notice that word sow. It, it's like a person who plants seeds. And seeds are small. So we're not necessarily talking about somebody, you know, who'd burn the whole place down, although there may be people who would burn the whole place down. But most of us, that's not how we are. But we are more guilty of doing tiny little things, small little seeds that we could plant, um, that just undermine the, otherwise the complete unity and fellowship that we would have together in Christ. You cannot do this. You must not do this. This is one of the things the Lord hates. Uh, let's keep going. In Galatians, when Paul is talking about the fruit of the Spirit, before he lists the fruit of the Spirit, he will talk about the works of the flesh. These are sinful things. And uh, just take a look at what makes the list. Uh, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery. (laughs) These are all these things that we all don't like. But then notice this. The list goes on. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. I I think that lands pretty hard. I mean, let's go back. Take a look at this list again. Because I know you don't feel like a sexually immoral person. You don't find yourself indulging lustful pleasures. You didn't come from a wild party. You were in bed by nine last night. I get all of that. But I call your attention to this whole section here. Hostility. I, I mean, you may go to bed early every Saturday night, but you don't get along well with people. And that's the problem. Quarreling. I mean, some of you, even in your family, you, you fought on the way to church in the car. I mean, hostility and quarreling, this is a way of life. Jealousy. You're one of those husbands that like every time your wife puts her phone down, like you're going through her phone. It's, it's jealousy, dude. Outburst of anger. We had an outburst of anger in this church in the last few weeks. Selfish ambition. Almost all of us, I would say all of us are selfish 
And that selfishness is a sin, and it interrupts the unity that Christ would have for us. Dissension, division, envy. I'm just telling you one more time, as Paul says, if that's the way you live, if that's the way you are in the church, there's a pretty good chance you're not even a Christian. This is what Paul says. I mean, you may be a church person, but you may not be a Christian if it is in your heart to divide and to gossip and to stir up trouble. I mean, this is the word of God here, and these are sins that the Lord takes very, very seriously whether you do or not. Let's keep going. 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. Whoever says, I'm living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Now, I know you're thinking, well, Pastor Tim, I love everybody. I don't hate anybody. I, I don't even hate so-and-so. It's just that I don't, you know, I love her. I just don't like, you know, blank, you know, and that's how you do, right? I love her, but I just don't like, and then you fill in the blank. And I'm telling you, if, if, that's, if you can do that, if you can think of somebody in this church and you love them, but then you don't like blank, I'm telling you, there's something wrong in your heart. That's not normal. You're supposed to belong to Jesus, which means you're supposed to love people. Now, I know, some of you, right, in this, like, right now, you're thinking, man, I'm not even a member of this church. What is this pastor doing? You know, what are, what are these people doing? Um, I understand that if, if, if you're sort of an outsider to the congregation right now, you're going to wonder, what, you know? Um, but I want you to understand, even as an outsider, how important this is. And, 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 and if you're a person who doesn't even go to church then, then I think you understand exactly what I'm doing. Because I'm telling you, if I go out into our neighborhood and I start inviting people to church, I, I meet a lot of people who've actually been to church. And that's why they don't go to church. Y'all know I'm telling you the truth, right? A whole lot of people don't go to church because they've been to church. And they met us. I mean, there are people who live in the shadow of this people who don't come here to church because they know some of us, and they say, if that's what the Christian, the Christian life is about, I don't need it. You understand? So when people look at us, they expect us to have the love in our hearts that we preach. When we say Jesus loves the world and Jesus loves you, they have a hard time believing that if we don't even love each other. So understand, even if you're sort of outside the congregation, surely you understand the truth and the importance of what the Word of God says. Whoever says, I'm living in the light, woohoo, but hates a fellow believer, that person is in darkness. We're talking about people who call themselves church people. We're talking about some of us. There's darkness in your heart. Okay, let's go on. Titus chapter 3, y'all, this is really intense. This is rough. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people that, that, that like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. Okay, this is harsh, but understand what it says. If you've got somebody in your church and they just like to gossip and cause trouble, uh, all they like to do is stir up things, uh, you tell them once, tell them twice, and then kick them out. This is the word of God. It's saying this is the kind of person that you kick out. Now, this is the urgency and this is the importance of our unity. And it's pretty obvious to me by just looking at God's word. And I didn't cherry pick there. You just read the Bible for yourself. God despises sins against unity. I know there are sins you really don't like, and, and they're really, you know, unity is not really, you know, one of those upon your list, but I'm telling you, what God despises are the kinds of sins that church people do. 
that, that ruin the fellowship of the church. God despises sins against unity. So let me say this. We'll never have unity as a church until we have repentance as individuals. We got to repent. We have to recognize the sin that's in us, and we have to be willing to call it sin. I know, you just think you're improving the church, you know, by everybody sort of listening to you and doing it the way you want it, but you're not improving anything. You're destroying the unity of the church that Jesus died for, and God is not going to overlook that. You may not think it's serious. God says it's serious. We'll never have unity as a church until we have repentance as individuals, so therefore, unity starts with you. It starts with me. So before we do anything else, uh, can we just come together as God's people, in God's presence, and and pray? And and I want to ask you to pray a prayer of confession. I want to ask you to repent as I am repenting. I'm not innocent of these sins either, you all. I'm not claiming to be, but I'm telling you, I I want a clean heart with you and and before God. And this is one of the places where we often overlook our own sins, the the sins against unity. So I just want to call you to prayer. I want to ask you to bow your heads, uh, close your eyes, if you will. And uh, as we begin to pray, I just want to ask you some questions, and I want you to use these questions to ask the Holy Spirit to search your own heart. In these moments, I don't want you thinking about other people. I don't want you thinking, oh, man, I sure hope he heard that. No, no, this is, this is your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you need to see. Let me, let me start with this question. Which of your personal attitudes and behaviors are standing in the way of our church's unity? Not other people, you. Which of your personal attitudes and behaviors are standing in the way of our church's unity right now. Let me ask you this. Which person or persons have you closed your heart to Is there a relationship between you and somebody in this church? And that relationship needs to be renewed and repaired by the power and love of Jesus. What person? Let me ask you this. We talked about how Jesus laid everything down for the sake of saving us. He set aside his equality with God. He set aside his privilege, his position, all for the sake of loving us. So what personal sacrifice is the Lord telling you to make right now for the sake of others in this church family? What personal sacrifice It's the Holy Spirit asking you right now for the sake of others. Lord Jesus, if we are going to see other people the way you see other people, 
you will have to give us your eyes. Lord Jesus, if we are going to forgive and love other people the way you have forgiven and loved us, we will have to have your heart. Lord Jesus, we confess that we do not have your eyes when we look at our neighbor. Although we've been commanded to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, Lord, we confess that we do not love others the way we love ourselves. We love ourselves most. God, I pray that in this church you would work a miracle of supernatural unity. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be broken over the things that break your great heart. Lord, I pray that we would not allow roots of bitterness to grow within our own hearts, that we would not allow grudges to fester over years, that we would not live as people in the flesh, but that we would live as people of the Spirit. If we're going to see others and love others, Lord, then obviously you've got to do some amazing work of transformation in us. So, Lord Jesus, we come before you confessing our sins, repenting and turning away from all of these sins against the unity of this church that you bled for, that you died for, that you prayed for. Make us, Lord, to love each other and to love you most of all. Teach us, Lord, to love and make us one. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Again, if, if, you're, if you're new and you're thinking, my goodness, that was, that was the biggest wet blanket I've ever had thrown over me. Understand, uh, I, I recognize the sins in me and the sins in our church, but I also recognize that there's nothing all that unique about our church. We struggle with each other in the ways that brothers and sisters in Christ have struggled from the very beginning, which brings us to the letter to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 15. Romans is a letter written to a real life church with real life people, and if you read, you can understand that unity is part of the, the crisis at the church that causes Paul to write in the first place. You have in this church Jews and Gentiles. It's, it's, it's a racial division. It's a spiritual division. It's Old Testament people you know, coming up against the New Testament people of the gospel. And they're not really sure they can hang together in one church. There's a lot that would divide them. But that's why Paul says there is neither Jew nor Gentile. You know, there's men and women in the same church. I mean, it's that battle of the sexes that we experience every single day. But Paul says there, there is no male and female. You know, in the ancient world, you got slaves right in the church with, with free people. And Paul says there is no slave and free. I mean, all of these divisions, Paul just systematically removes. That's not a part of our life together in Christ. If we have Christ bringing us together, then there is nothing that can bring us apart. Understand? Among the other things causing division in the church of Rome, which is just insane, is the whole idea of whether or not Christians should eat meat. Like that's an actual question that people ask. They didn't just ask. Some of them really cared about that. They really felt like Christians should not eat meat, that if you eat meat, you're sinning. And other people think, like, what are you talking about? It's a tenderloin biscuit. But it was real division. And so Paul spends a lot of time, a lot of time leading up to what we're about to read, but he's been talking about how in the world you can be in church and be so different. 
and disagree on things and disagree very importantly and strongly, and yet still you, you hang together, you love each other, you serve Jesus together, you let nothing destroy the unity that Christ died for. And so this what brings us to Romans chapter 15. He's been giving practical principles for how to love each other, how to stay unified, and it brings us to Romans chapter 15, verse 1. So let's read seven verses, and, and I'll make this quick. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. I, I underlined that in my Bible. Maybe you could too. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. Did you hear that? Even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. May God, notice this is a prayer, verses five and six. May God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse seven, therefore, accept each other just as Christ accepted you so that God will be given glory. I love that. It gives us the reason, not just what we need to do, but why we need to do it. you got to accept one another the way Christ has accepted you. Why? So that we can have a friendly church. So that we can come together on Sunday and bask in the warm glow of togetherness. No, 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 no. Accept one another just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Our unity glorifies God. Which means our disunity, our lack of unity, understand that that shames the name of God. It is something that we simply cannot tolerate. We glorify God through our unity. This week, I have watched more sports than ever in my whole life. And y'all know me. It was not good. I watched most of the Super Bowl. I did not want to watch. I, I don't care. I didn't care. I'm sorry. I know a lot of you did. I, I don't. I, I don't. It was the longest, you know, whatever, three hours of my life. You know, I never get them back. I watched Super Bowl. And then every night this week when we were home, every night at home, the Olympics were on our television. Not for me. Not for me. I'm so uninterested, y'all. We watched curling Y'all are telling me that's a sport? I mean, that is, oh, gosh. Uh, skeleton is cool. I like that. I like the one where it looks like somebody could die, you know, because, you know, something, please, anything happen. Um, I'm not a sports guy, but I watched a lot of, I watched a lot of sports this week. Um, Thursday, I made a giant pot of taco soup. Um, I like it spicy, like, re like really spicy. Like, I want it so spicy hot, it'll burn the hair off your tongue. Like that's, a, I want to feel like I'm eating kerosene out of a bowl and lighting a match. You know, I like spice. So I made a big pot of taco soup and I made it mild. Like no spice, just mild. That's not how I like it. That's how I made it. 
Now, when it comes to television, we're watching sports mostly, but now on TV, I like shows, like I like horror. I like scary stuff. I, I like just, you know, terrifying things. I like shows that are weird and, and have a twist. Like you think you're watching one thing and all of a sudden, man, it twists and it's a different kind of thing. You're like, what? I mean, I like to have my mind blown. When I watch, like every time I watch a show, I want my mind blown. We watch a lot of Everybody Loves Raymond. (laughs) There is never a twist. There is no mind blowing. Everybody loves Raymond. I don't love Raymond. But I love my wife. Y'all with me? I love my wife. My wife loves sports. God help her. She lo- We've been married 33 years. And she sat there. I'm, I'm beside her. I'm just there for Jesus, y'all. I mean, I'm sitting there watching the Super Bowl. And she'll be like, did you see that play? I'm, who do you think you're talking to? I mean... Do you think we're about to have a, a conversation about sports? You know, I mean, bless her heart, she still tries, you know, to get me into this. I'm not into this. I'm into her. You know, I mean, my wife does not like spicy food. She thinks ketchup is hot sauce. <laughs> so I make taco soup, you know, that's just like, you know, it's just, it's, it is so bland. But that's how she likes it. I love her. Are y'all with me? My wife doesn't like any TV show longer than 30 minutes and nothing that she's going to have to think about later. She hate like you can't, I'm telling you, she can't watch Law and Order because like in the first five minutes she says, well, who shot her? I'm like, well, honey, that's what the next hour is for. And she's like, well, I hate this. You know, so that's my wife. So we watch Everybody Loves Raymond and, you know, I, I never get to see, you know, you know mind-blowing I love her. You understand? Now, as, as I describe, you know, our private life with you, I want you to understand, don't you be thinking that I'm the one that, that has all the grace. Because that woman lives with me. And living with me requires a lot of grace. There, there's so much that I know. Oh, my goodness. My wife is such a good budgeter, and I blow it every month. I, it's, it's, my, it's my superpower. I can blow her, her budget, and she just continues to love me. My wife loves to wake up early in the morning, have quiet, and read her Bible. Now, I'm all for people getting up early and having quiet and reading their Bible, but when I get up, I, I turn on loud music and I dance. Like every morning, this is how I come out of bed. You know, so my wife is in there with Jesus, and I'm coming in, whoop, 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 you know, I'm not kidding. Music's so loud. And, and now I've realized she's wearing like AirPods, like she's just trying to find quiet. Uh, oh my goodness. How has she not put the pillow over my face, you know? I'm just telling you, this is what love does. We're not extraordinary people. This is just what love does. Uh, In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, love bears all things. What do you think that means? Love bears all things. Very simply, like in the Tim Harris translation of that, it just means love puts up with a whole lot of crud. It just does. Love puts up with a lot for the sake of love. I, I, I believe I would do anything for my wife. I would watch anything. I will eat anything. I will do anything for her because I love her. 
I, I love her. I want to be with her. It's for the sake of relationship. There's just not really anything. I really don't believe there's anything I, I wouldn't do for her. I, I'm not a super husband. I think that's just what a husband does. It's what love does. It just puts up, and, and she puts up with even more for me. That's just what love does. It's, it's called grace. It's, it's called mercy. It's, it's a way to be in relationship. I just love her. I love being in bed with a warm woman every night. I mean, I'll do anything, you know? I, I just will. This is what love does, and this is what Paul's talking about when he talks about the church. I mean, we're different, and, and, and love is sort of costly. It costs something from you. I mean, if it were easy to love people, everybody would love people. But if you notice, most people don't love well. I mean, how many times have you been married? It's hard. It's really hard. Some of you can't even, you know, come out of the shop and walk down the hall and have a conversation with your teenage daughter. It's hard. Everything about love is hard, but at the very, very same time, because of Jesus, we can love each other. It's a supernatural kind of love. And in Romans chapter 15, it's what Paul's talking about. It's what he's been talking about. And it's not some, you know, some kind of general kind of love everybody kind of passage. Yes, you're supposed to love everybody. Jesus loves everybody. And if Jesus is in you, you're going to love everybody. And probably everybody in this room would say, well, Pastor Tim, I do. I love everybody. I just love everybody. You say you do. But if we just like, I just don't do it now because it will be weird. But just think about the people on your pew. Think about the people that go to the 930 service, which is why you come to the 11 o'clock service. Because you don't want to see them. I mean, some of you are like that. Any of us can be like that at times. I mean, you say you love everybody, but when it comes right down to particular people, you love everybody, but it turns out there's some particular people you don't care for. Okay, okay. Let, let me just say this as plainly as I can say it. Living for Jesus requires your commitment. It's a commitment. It's a decision you make. Living for Jesus requires your commitment to the everyday business of loving the people with whom you go to church. Well, which people at the church? All of them. Pastor, I don't even know them all. Get to know them. Love people. No, honestly, I know our church is, we're not the biggest church in America, but it's pretty good size. Six or seven hundred people on a Sunday morning. I don't know everybody. I try to. I really try. I think y'all see me try. I want to learn your name. I want to learn your kids. I, I just want to. And if you give me time, I will. But, but it's hard. It's hard. But just because it's hard, that's why it takes commitment. That's why it takes the power of Jesus in us. There are no exceptions here. You can't say, well, I think I pretty much love everybody except for her. I think I love most everybody except for him. And if he'd just leave, we'd have ourselves a good church. See, that's the other thing. Some of you are in this church. Because you couldn't get along with the people at your last church. And you think that's how that works. You just get mad and leave or, or hope they leave. And if they don't leave, you leave. It's why in a church with four worship services, people choose the service they do sometimes. Because you find the people that you like and avoid the people you don't like. And I'm telling you, none of that is the way of Jesus. None of that is excusable. Jesus puts a love in our heart, and Jesus himself bled. He died. He, he prayed for our unity. If he cares that much about the unity of Woodburn Baptist Church, I think you should care too. 
So just notice what Paul says, because it's really pretty amazing. He's talking to real people, and he knows how people are, and he knows there are things you don't agree on, and in, in the case of the church at Romans, they're fighting about me, which is insane. It's insane. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not eat meat. I mean, it's not even a biblical issue, but it was a personal issue, you know? And, and honestly, for all of my life in church, I've seen church people fight over the dumbest things, rarely biblical things. People rarely fight about something that matters. People fight about dumb things, personal preferences, you know? I mean, I've heard, and, and I don't mean to step on anybody's toes, but, you know, like I hear so many of y'all complain that, you know, Pastor, I think you should know somebody opened their car door and left some white paint on my door. I mean, so what do you want me to do? And like, some of you are like, that was five years ago. Get over that. You know, well, I think I know who did it. Well, so you're going to forgive, right? I mean, isn't that what Christians do? I mean, who do you think you are? You just get mad and stomp off or get mad and stay mad or blow up or get on the phone and tell everybody, see if you can find people that agree with you about how horrible it is, whatever they're doing, you know. No, that's not how God's people act. That's not what unity looks like. That's why Paul gives very, very practical advice here. Basically, he says in, in chapter 14, verse 12, each of us will give a personal account to God. I mean, it's kind of obvious, right? We're going to stand before Jesus. God judges us. But what Paul is saying here is, you know, people are going to give a personal account to God, so leave them alone. They're going to answer to God. Nobody answers to you. No, Nobody. And nobody answers to me. It's really, really pretty basic. You're just supposed to love and then leave the judging to God. You just love. Just love. Well, Pastor Tim, I, th I think there are some things I just can't overlook. Overlook them for love. You got grandkids, right? I mean, how many things have you done that you couldn't stand, but you never thought you'd do, but the grandkids like it? You know? Oh, my goodness. I sat through all those years of my kid playing soccer. I love my son. Soccer, oh, my goodness. No, no, soccer was bad enough. Swim meets. My son swam for a while. If, if anybody tells me I've only got one day to live, please send me to a swim meet. It will last forever. <laughs> Have y'all been there? Y'all been to a swim meet? Oh, my goodness. You know, you just start praying for a, a meteorite to come out of the sky. <laughs> Kill me, you know? I would just sit at the soccer field, and I love my son. I'm there for him, right? But I'm sitting there thinking, I can't believe this is my life. What it, you know, oh my goodness, you know? But I would, I would drive all over the country to watch that kid play. You know, he's my son. I love him. You know, there are entire years, I mean, I talk about what we watch on television, entire years, you know, where we're watching like, you know, Power Rangers and idiotic stuff on television. I didn't like it at all. You know, but it's just love, you know? It's just love. He's my son. You know, and that's how we are. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, my goodness, what is there about me that can make me so detestable to you that you can't even be in relation, that you can't just love me? I mean, what is it that anybody in this room could do that makes you so mad that you got to get on the phone and call people and try to divide? I mean, what is it? 
When you love Jesus more than anything else, what is it about anybody else that could possibly turn you into that kind of person? You know what I'm saying? Just love people. Leave the judging to God. Just love people. So chapter 15, verse 1, Paul says, we must not just please ourselves. I know that's kind of your full-time job, but you've got to give it up. You've got to resign. You can't just please yourself. When you walk in church, it's not about what you like. It's not about what any of us individually like. It's always about other people. What does Paul say? We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. Understand, here's my pledge. I will do anything short of sin. I'll do anything short of sin to see you become stronger in the faith. This is how believers interact. I just want you to love the Lord. I just want you to grow in the Lord. I want you to love this church. And I'll do anything I can to help that happen. This is what Paul says. Help others. Build them up in the Lord. That's your job. It's not about, well, I don't, I don't know about that. You know, I don't know if I like everything up in here. It's not about you liking things. It's about you forgetting yourself and doing everything you can to see that other people like it. You know, it's not about whether or not you have a good day today in church. It's about you coming in here and seeing to it that other people have a good day today in church. You know, that's why we show up. You know, somebody's saying, well, Pastor, you know, I don't know I don't even come that often. <laughs> Well, you're part of the problem, you know? I mean, the scripture says, don't forsake meeting together, as some people do, but, but encourage each other. We come together for each other. It's encouraging, you know? You discover that you can stay home and watch it on TV, so that sounds good, right? You can stir your oatmeal and watch me in your boxers. But that's not what it's, it's not about, you know, your comfort, stirring oatmeal, being, you know, putting your feet up. You come together because we're here to encourage each other. You can't do that at home by yourself. It's not encouragement to anybody. We're, we're in it for others. We, we come for others. We, we participate in the singing for others. It's not, we're not here to hear you sing, and we're not here to sing your favorite songs. We're here to lift up the name of Jesus. His name is glorified, and I don't care what y'all are singing. If Jesus is in it, I'm going to try to sing it. I want to be a part of praising Jesus. I'll do anything. It's sort of sin. For the sake of seeing you all become stronger in the faith. I don't know everybody either. I just don't. But I'm telling you, if they walk in that door, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bend over backwards. Y'all, in between the services, I met a guy from South Africa in our lobby. He's visiting. Now, I don't know exactly what road you get on to get from South Africa to Woodburn. But he was here, and it was awesome. I may never see him again. I don't know that I will. But he was a brother in Christ, and it was amazing that he was here. You know, I, I don't know how long our relationship will last, but in that moment, man, we were brothers, and I could love him. You know, now you wouldn't necessarily know who walks in that door, whether or not they're from South Africa or not, or whether or not they're a brother or a sister or not. But you know what? If they walk in that door and there aren't any seats, you should give them your seat. Right? Because I'll do anything to see them become strong in the faith. And I don't know where they come from or what they need, but I'm not going to sit here, you know, with my behind on the pew if somebody else doesn't have a seat. You get up. You know, this is just how it all works. It's how everything works. I'll do anything for other people if it helps them get stronger in the faith. Give them your seat. Give them your smile. Give them your name. Shake a hand. I mean, you know what I'm saying? 
We're not here to please ourselves. It's always about others. I'm here for you. You're here for others. We're all here for one another. Verses 5 and 6, quickly, I'll wrap up really quickly. Verses 5 and 6, I remind you, this is a prayer. And I want to ask you to do something. This is homework. If you close your Bible, open it back and look at chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, because I want you to make a promise that you'll pray this prayer for our church every day this week. All right? May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help us, let's, let's say us, help us live in complete harmony with each other. As is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus, then all of us can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that prayer, please. For our church, pray it every day this week, maybe longer than that. Because something tells me if, if, if that becomes our burden, if that becomes our heart, and we begin to pray that prayer and God begins to answer that prayer with his love and his power, I'm telling you that this is going to be a very different church. And I think we're ready for it. One more thing. Verse 7. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given the glory. Accept each other. What do you think that means? Obviously, love bears a lot of things. As I said, Paul is kind of trying to sort through with the people because there's so many things that people divide over that aren't, they're not things. They're not biblical things. And, and I know that there are biblical truths and biblical principles that we're standing on. And, and I agree with that. I'm not going to bend the gospel around people who don't want to live the gospel. I'm not going to try to ignore what the Bible says you know, for people who don't want to live by the Bible. That's not what we're talking about. But most of what you stay mad about is not biblical stuff. It's just you stuff. You know? So when Paul says, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, that, that, that's not like some sort of wish that could never happen. This is what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your life right now. Help you learn to accept people. What's it mean? Your translation may actually use the word welcome there because it's actually the word that means welcome. It's, it's a word for hospitality, but it's, it's an active word. It's a, it's a verb that leans in, that, that, that engages you. You're going to have to put some muscle into this. It's not a passive kind of word. It's, it's to accept, to, to welcome people, like hospitality. You know, before COVID, people had hospitality. Nobody goes to anybody's house anymore because nobody wants to breathe your COVID. You know, that's kind of how we've all been broken. But we need to come back to this. There's something about being together. There's something about having people in your home, and, and that's biblical. And there's something about eating together that's just amazing. It builds fellowship. We've got to get back to some of that. But it's beyond that. It, it, it's, it's hospitality, but, it, but, but it's bigger. But it's not less than that. Gosh, if I think about having people in my house, man, I, I actually love that. Now, if I know you're coming, I'm going to have to get ready because our house isn't always ready for you. I don't know how y'all live, but like Casey and I, like we like a little bit of notice because we kind of live in squalor. I mean, not like absolute squalor, but, but if we thought you were coming, we'd want to pick some things up. You know, if you don't give me a lot of notice, I'm good at flying through the house really quickly and shoving stuff in places. Y'all do that? Like I can put stuff under the bed. I can make the bed look made even though I didn't make it. You know, I mean, I can try it. The point is, I'm going to try to prepare the house because I know you're coming. And I want to honor you. 
by not asking you, you know, to eat a meal sitting there with my boxer shorts on the table. Like, you know, I'm going to try to put some things away for you. I'm trying to make room for you in my house. And if you're coming for supper, I'm probably going to say, well, is there anything you don't like? You know, or what do you like? Because I'm going to try to have the meal that, that you like because that's what you do when you have people over. Because not, we're not just going to eat what we like. We want to find out what you like. We don't eat a lot of dessert. Me and Casey, we're like we're middle-aged people, and you know we, we you know brand, you know like dessert at our house is you know if if Casey's feeling wild, you know raisins, you know. But if you're coming, if you're coming, we'll make brownies, y'all. It's the only good reason for us to have company, man. We get brownies. If you can, we'll make brownies, or you know, because we don't have that, but we do it for you, you know. And I'm gonna get company over and give you raisins. Actually, Casey might, and if she does, I'm sorry. I will get you brownies later. She could, yeah. Man, if you're going to sleep in our guest bedroom, nobody's ever in there very often, so I'm going to Febreze that whole place. I don't want you to think we stink. I'm going to Febreze that place. I'm going to clean, I'm going to change the bed, you know. I'm going to clean that guest bathroom, because Lord knows last time, you know, I come always been flushed. I mean, we're going to do it all for you, because that's, that's what you do. That's hospitality. You make room in your home. And you think about the other person, and everything becomes sort of about them, to have somebody as your honored guest, you know? But what Paul is talking about here is that but more. Paul's not just talking about having people to your house, although that's a start. When he says, welcome each other as Christ has welcomed you, he's talking about welcoming people into your heart, welcoming them into your life. Remember earlier when we were praying together and I asked you to consider, you know, who is it in this church family that you've, you've closed your heart to? So you can't do that. It's sinful. It's a sin against unity. It's a sin against Christ. You can't close your heart to people. I don't care what she said to you. I don't care what he did to you. Christ did more for you. You don't close your heart. You open your heart. And this is what Paul says. No, welcome each other just as Christ has welcomed you. That's supernatural unity. Pretty good house full of people today. I love seeing all of you. But I have to admit, I don't know all of you. And I didn't personally invite all of you. I'm so glad you're here. But none of us personally invited everybody else here. This is just sort of the crowd that came. You know, This is, this, this is the people that came to church at 11. I didn't invite you. Christ did. You understand? You're here because Christ brought you here. You are in the body of Christ because Christ welcomed you. He bled. He died. That you could come into this family. He did the same thing for me. So this is what Paul is saying. This, this, this invitation, this welcome, this acceptance. It's, it first comes from Christ. Christ is the one that creates this church. Christ is the one who adds people to this church. Christ is the one who invites and welcomes us. It's Christ who brings us in. And if Christ has brought you in, and Christ has welcomed me in, then you and I have no right to look at the other one and say, you don't belong. I can't love you. You're not accepted. Understand? Christ loves me and Christ loves you, then you can't tell me we can't love each other. We have to love each other. Pray, pray with me.